Chapter Six, Part One of Summer on the Lakes in eighteen forty three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summer on the Lakes in eighteen forty three by Margaret Fuller. Chapter Six, Part One Mackinaw. Late at night we reached this island, so famous for its beauty and to which i proposed a visit of some length it was the last week in august when a large representation from the chippewa and ottawa tribes are here to receive their annual payments from the american government as their habits make travelling easy and inexpensive to them neither being obliged to wait for steamboats or write to see whether hotels are full they come hither by thousands and those thousands in families secure of accommodation on the beach and food from the lake to make a long holiday out of the occasion there were near two thousand encamped on the island already and more arriving every day as our boat came in the captain had some rockets let off this greatly excited the indians and their yells and wild cries resounded along the shore except for the momentary flash of the rockets it was perfectly dark and my sensations as i walked with a stranger to a strange hotel through the midst of these shrieking savages and heard the pants and snorts of the departing steamer which carried away all my companions were somewhat of the dismal sort though it was pleasant too in the way that everything strange is everything that breaks in upon the routine that so easily encrusts us i had reason to expect a room to myself at the hotel but found none and was obliged to take up my rest in the common parlour and eating-room a circumstance which ensured my being an early riser with the first rosy streak i was out among my indian neighbours whose lodges honeycombed the beautiful beach that curved away in long fair outline on either side the house they were already on the alert the children creeping out from beneath the blanket door of the lodge the women pounding corn in their rude mortars the young men playing on their pipes i had been much amused when the strain proper to the winnebago courting flute was played to me on another instrument at any one fancying it a melody but now when i heard the notes in their true tone and time i thought it not unworthy comparison in its graceful sequence and the light flourish at the close with the sweetest bird-songs and this like the bird-song is only practised to allure a mate the indian become a citizen and a husband no more thinks of playing the flute than one of the settled-down members of our society would of choosing the purple light of love as dye-stuff for a surtout mackinaw has been fully described by able pens and i can only add my tribute to the exceeding beauty of the spot and its position it is charming to be on an island so small that you can sail round it in an afternoon yet large enough to admit of long secluded walks through its gentle groves you can go round it in your boat or on foot you can tread its narrow beach resting at times beneath the lofty walls of stone richly wooded which rise from it in various architectural forms in this stone caves are continually forming from the action of the atmosphere one of these is quite deep and with a fragment left at its mouth wreathed with little creeping plants that looks as you sit within like a ruined pillar 
the arched rock surprised me much as i had heard of it from the perfection of the arch it is perfect whether you look up through it from the lake or down through it to the transparent waters we both ascended and descended no very easy matter the steep and crumbling path and rested at the summit beneath the trees and at the foot upon the cool mossy stones beside the lapsing wave nature has carefully decorated all this architecture with shrubs that take root within the crevices and small creeping vines these natural ruins may vie for beautiful effect with the remains of european grandeur and have beside a charm as of a playful mood in nature the sugar-loaf rock is a fragment in the same kind as the pine rock we saw in illinois it has the same air of a helmet as seen from an eminence at the side which you descend by a long and steep path the rock itself may be ascended by the bold and agile halfway up is a niche to which those who are neither can climb by a ladder a very handsome young officer and lady who were with us did so and then facing round stood there side by side looking in the niche if not like saints or angels wrought by pious hands in stone as romantically if not as holily worthy the gazer's eye the woods which adorn the central ridge of the island are very full in foliage and in august show the tender green and pliant leaf of june elsewhere they are rich in beautiful mosses and the wild raspberry from fort holmes the old fort we had the most commanding view of the lake and straits opposite shores and fair islets mackinaw itself is best seen from the water its peculiar shape is supposed to have been the origin of its name michilimackinac which means the great turtle one person whom i saw wished to establish another etymology which he fancied to be more refined but i doubt not this is the true one both because the shape might suggest such a name and that the existence of an island in this commanding position which did so would seem a significant fact to the indians for henry gives the details of peculiar worship paid to the great turtle and the oracles received from this extraordinary apollo of the indian delphos it is crowned most picturesquely by the white fort with its gay flag from this on one side stretches the town how pleasing a sight after the raw crude staring assemblage of houses everywhere else to be met in this country an old french town mellow in its colouring and with the harmonious effect of a slow growth which assimilates naturally with objects round it the people in its streets indian french half-breeds and others walked with a leisure step as those who live a life of taste and inclination rather than of the hard press of business as in american towns elsewhere on the other side along the fair curving beach below the white houses scattered on the declivity clustered the indian lodges with their amber-brown matting so soft and bright of hue in the late afternoon sun the first afternoon i was there looking down from a near height i felt that i never wished to see a more fascinating picture it was an hour of the deepest serenity bright blue and gold rich shadows every moment the sunlight fell more mellow the indians were grouped and scattered among the lodges 
the women preparing food in the kettle or frying pan over the many small fires the children half naked wild as little goblins were playing both in and out of the water here and there lounged a young girl with a baby at her back whose bright eyes glanced as if born into a world of courage and of joy instead of ignominious servitude and slow decay some girls were cutting wood a little way from me talking and laughing in the low musical tone so charming in the indian women many bark canoes were upturned upon the beach and by that light of almost the same amber as the lodges others coming in their square sails set and with almost arrowy speed though heavily laden with dusky forms and all the apparatus of their household here and there a sailboat glided by with a different but scarce less pleasing motion it was a scene of ideal loveliness and these wild forms adorned it as looking so at home in it all seemed happy and they were happy that day for they had no fire-water to madden them as it was sunday and the shops were shut from my window at the boarding-house my eye was constantly attracted by these picturesque groups i was never tired of seeing the canoes come in and the new arrivals set up their temporary dwellings the women ran to set up the tent-poles and spread the mats on the ground the men brought the chests kettles and company the mats were then laid on the outside the cedar boughs strewed on the ground the blanket hung up for a door and all was completed in less than twenty minutes then they began to prepare the night meal and to learn of their neighbors the news of the day the habit of preparing food out of doors gave all the gypsy charm and variety to their conduct continually i wanted sir walter scott to have been there if such romantic sketches were suggested to him by the sight of a few gypsies not a group near one of these fires but would have furnished him material for a separate canvas i was so taken up with the spirit of the scene that i could not follow out the stories suggested by these weather-beaten sullen but eloquent figures they talked a great deal and with much variety of gesture so that i often had a good guess at the meaning of their discourse i saw that whatever the indian may be among the whites he is anything but taciturn with his own people and he often would declaim or narrate at length as indeed it is obvious that these tribes possess great power that way if only from the fables taken from their stores by mr schoolcraft i liked very much to walk or sit among them with the women i held much communication by signs they are almost invariably coarse and ugly with the exception of their eyes with a peculiarly awkward gait and forms bent by burthens this gait so different from the steady and noble step of the men marks the inferior position they occupy i had heard much eloquent contradiction of this mrs schoolcraft had maintained to a friend that they were in fact as nearly on a par with their husbands as the white woman with hers although said she on account of inevitable causes the indian woman is subjected to many hardships of a peculiar nature yet her position compared with that of the man is higher and freer than that of the white woman why will people look only on one side they either exalt the red man into a demigod or degrade him into a beast they say he compels his wife to do all the drudgery while he does nothing but hunt and amuse himself 
forgetting that upon his activity and power of endurance as a hunter depends the support of his family that this is labor of the most fatiguing kind and that it is absolutely necessary that he should keep his frame unbent by burdens and unworn by toil that he may be able to obtain the means of subsistence i have witnessed scenes of conjugal and parental love in the indian's wigwam from which i have often often thought the educated white man proud of his superior civilization might learn a useful lesson when he returns from hunting worn out with fatigue having tasted nothing since dawn his wife if she is a good wife will take off his moccasins and replace them with dry ones and will prepare his game for their repast while his children will climb upon him and he will caress them with all the tenderness of a woman and in the evening the indian wigwam is the scene of the purest domestic pleasures the father will relate for the amusement of the wife and for the instruction of the children all the events of the day's hunt while they will treasure up every word that falls and thus learn the theory of the art whose practice is to be the occupation of their lives mrs grant speaks thus of the position of woman amid the mohawk indians lady mary montague says that the court of vienna was the paradise of old women and that there is no other place in the world where a woman past fifty excites the least interest had her travels extended to the interior of north america she would have seen another instance of this inversion of the common mode of thinking here a woman never was of consequence till she had a son old enough to fight the battles of his country from that date she held a superior rank in society was allowed to live at ease and even called to consultations on national affairs in savage and warlike countries the reign of beauty is very short and its influence comparatively limited the girls in childhood had a very pleasing appearance but excepting their fine hair eyes and teeth every external grace was soon banished by perpetual drudgery carrying burdens too heavy to be borne and other slavish employments considered beneath the dignity of the men these walked before erect and graceful decked with ornaments which set off to advantage the symmetry of their well-formed persons while the poor women followed meanly attired bent under the weight of the children and utensils which they carried everywhere with them and disfigured and degraded by ceaseless toils they were very early married for a mohawk had no other servant but his wife and whenever he commenced hunter it was requisite he should have some one to carry his load cook his kettle make his moccasins and above all produce the young warriors who were to succeed him in the honors of the chase and of the tomahawk wherever man is a mere hunter woman is a mere slave it is domestic intercourse that softens man and elevates woman and of that there can be but little where the employments and amusements are not in common the ancient caledonians honored the fair but then it is to be observed they were fair huntresses and moved in the light of their beauty to the hill of rose and the culinary toils were entirely left to the rougher sex when the young warrior made his appearance it softened the cares of his mother who well knew that when he grew up every deficiency in tenderness to his wife would be made up in superabundant duty and affection to her 
if it were possible to carry filial veneration to excess it was done here for all other charities were absorbed in it i wonder this system of depressing the sex in their early years to exalt them when all their juvenile attractions were flown and when mind alone can distinguish them has not occurred to our modern reformers the mohawks took good care not to admit their women to share their prerogatives till they approved themselves good wives and mothers the observations of women upon the position of woman are always more valuable than those of men but of these two mrs grant's seems much nearer the truth than mrs schoolcraft's because though her opportunities for observation did not bring her so close she looked more at both sides to find the truth carver in his travels among the winnebagoes describes two queens one nominally so like queen victoria the other invested with a genuine royalty springing from her own conduct in the great town of the winnebagoes he found a queen presiding over the tribe instead of a sachem he adds that in some tribes the descent is given to the female line in preference to the male that is a sister's son will succeed to the authority rather than a brother's son the position of this winnebago queen reminded me forcibly of queen victoria's she sat at the council but only asked a few questions or gave some trifling directions in matters relative to the state for women are never allowed to sit in their councils except they happen to be invested with the supreme authority and then it is not customary for them to make any formal speeches as the chiefs do she was a very ancient woman small in stature and not much distinguished by her dress from several young women that attended her these her attendants seemed greatly pleased whenever i showed any tokens of respect to their queen especially when i saluted her which i frequently did to acquire her favour the other was a woman who being taken captive found means to kill her captor and make her escape and the tribe were so struck with admiration at the courage and calmness she displayed on the occasion as to make her chieftainess in her own right notwithstanding the homage paid to women and the consequence allowed her in some cases it is impossible to look upon the indian women without feeling that they do occupy a lower place than women among the nations of european civilization the habits of drudgery expressed in their form and gesture the soft and wild but melancholy expression of their eye reminded me of the tribe mentioned by mackenzie where the women destroy their female children whenever they have a good opportunity and of the eloquent reproaches addressed by the paraguay woman to her mother that she had not in the same way saved her from the anguish and weariness of her lot more weariness than anguish no doubt falls to the lot of most of these women they inherit submission and the minds of the generality accommodate themselves more or less to any posture perhaps they suffer less than their white sisters who have more aspiration and refinement but little power of self-sustenance but their place is certainly lower and their share of the human inheritance less their decorum and delicacy are striking and show that when these are native to the mind no habits of life make any difference their whole gesture is timid yet self-possessed they used to crowd round me to inspect little things i had to show them but never press near on the contrary 
they would reprove and keep off the children anything they took from my hand was held with care then shut or folded and returned with an air of ladylike precision they would not stare however curious they might be but cast sidelong glances a locket that i wore was an object of untiring interest they seemed to regard it as a talisman my little sunshade was still more fascinating to them apparently they had never before seen one for an umbrella they entertained profound regard probably looking upon it as the most luxurious superfluity a person can possess and therefore a badge of great wealth i used to see an old squaw whose sullied skin and coarsed tanned locks told me that she had braved sun and storm without a doubt or care for sixty years at the least sitting gravely at the door of her lodge with an old green umbrella over her head happy for hours together in the dignified shade for her happiness pomp came not as it so often does too late she received it with grateful enjoyment one day as i was seated on one of the canoes a woman came and sat beside me with her baby in its cradle set up at her feet she asked me by a gesture to let her take my sunshade and then to show her how to open it then she put it into her baby's hand and held it over its head looking at me the while with a sweet mischievous laugh as much as to say you carry a thing that is only fit for a baby her pantomime was very pretty she like the other women had a glance and shy sweet expression in the eye the men have a steady gaze the noblest and loveliest of modern prue lord edward fitzgerald who came through buffalo to detroit and mackinaw with brant and was adopted into the bear tribe by the name of egnadal was struck in the same way by the delicacy of manners in the women he says notwithstanding the life they lead which would make most women rough and masculine they are as soft meek and modest as the best brought-up girls in england somewhat coquettish too imagine the manners of a mimi in a poor squaw that has been carrying packs in the woods all her life mckenny mentions that the young wife during the short bloom of her beauty is an object of homage and tenderness to her husband one indian woman the flying pigeon a beautiful and excellent woman of whom he gives some particulars is an instance of the power uncommon characters will always exert of breaking down the barriers custom has erected round them she captivated by her charms and inspired with reverence for her character her husband and son the simple praise with which the husband indicates the religion the judgment and the generosity he saw in her are as satisfying as count zinzendorf's more laboured eulogium on his noble consort the conduct of her son when many years after her death he saw her picture at washington is unspeakably affecting catlin gives anecdotes of the grief of a chief for the loss of a daughter and the princely gifts he offers in exchange for her portrait worthy not merely of a european but of troubadour sentiment it is also evident that as mrs schoolcraft says the women have great power at home it can never be otherwise men being dependent upon them for the comfort of their lives just so among ourselves 
wives who are neither esteemed nor loved by their husbands have great power over their conduct by the friction of every day and over the formation of their opinions by the daily opportunities so close a relation affords of perverting testimony and instilling doubts but these sentiments should not come in brief flashes but burn as a steady flame then there would be more women worthy to inspire them this power is good for nothing unless the woman be wise to use it aright has the indian has the white woman as noble a feeling of life and its uses as religious a self-respect as worthy a field of thought and action as man if not the white woman the indian woman occupies an inferior position to that of man it is not so much a question of power as of privilege the men of these subjugated tribes now accustomed to drunkenness and every way degraded bear but a faint impress of the lost grandeur of the race they are no longer strong tall or finely proportioned yet as you see them stealing along a height or striding boldly forward they remind you of what was majestic in the red man on the shores of lake superior it is said if you visit them at home you may still see a remnant of the noble blood the pillagers pillures, a band celebrated by the old travellers are still existent there still some the eagles of their tribe may rush i have spoken of the hatred felt by the white man for the indian with white women it seems to amount to disgust to loathing how i could endure the dirt the peculiar smell of the indians and their dwellings was a great marvel in the eyes of my lady acquaintance indeed i wonder why they did not quite give me up as they certainly looked on me with great distaste for it get you gone you indian dog was the felt if not the breathed expression toward the hapless owners of the soil all their claims all their sorrows quite forgot in abhorrence of their dirt their tawny skins and the vices the whites have taught them a person who had seen them during the great part of a life expressed his prejudices to me with such violence that i was no longer surprised that the indian children threw sticks at him as he passed a lady said do what you will for them they will be ungrateful the savage cannot be washed out of them bring up an indian child and see if you can attach it to you the next moment she expressed in the presence of one of those children whom she was bringing up loathing at the odour left by one of her people and one of the most respected as he passed through the room when the child is grown she will consider it basely ungrateful not to love her as it certainly will not and this will be cited as an instance of the impossibility of attaching the indian whether the indian could by any efforts of love and intelligence from the white man have been civilized and made a valuable ingredient in the new state i will not say but this we are sure of the french catholics at least did not harm them nor disturb their minds merely to corrupt them the french they loved but the stern presbyterian with his dogmas and task-work the city circle and the college with their niggard concessions and unfeeling stare have never tried the experiment it has not been tried our people and our government have sinned alike against the first-born of the soil 
and if they are the fated agents of a new era they have done nothing have invoked no god to keep them sinless while they do the hest of fate worst of all when they invoke the holy power only to mask their iniquity when the felon trader who all the week has been besotting and degrading the indian with rum mixed with red pepper and damaged tobacco kneels with him on sunday before a common altar to tell the rosary which recalls the thought of him crucified for love of suffering men and to listen to sermons in praise of purity my savage friends cries the old fat priest you must above all things aim at purity oh my heart swelled when i saw them in a christian church better their own dog feasts and bloody rites than such mockery of that other faith the dog said an indian was once a spirit he has fallen for his sin and was given by the great spirit in this shape to man as his most intelligent companion therefore we sacrifice it in highest honour to our friends in this world to our protecting geniuses in another there was religion in that thought the white man sacrifices his own brother and to mammon yet he turns in loathing from the dog feast you say said the indian of the south to the missionary that christianity is pleasing to god how can that be those men at savannah are christians yes slave drivers and indian traders are called christians and the indian is to be deemed less like the son of mary than they wonderful is the deceit of man's heart i have not on seeing something of them in their own haunts found reason to change the sentiments expressed in the following lines when a deputation of the sacks and foxes visited boston in eighteen thirty seven and were by one person at least received in a dignified and courteous manner governor everett receiving the indian chiefs november eighteen thirty seven who says that poesy is on the wane and that the muses tune their lyres in vain mid all the treasures of romantic story when thought was fresh and fancy in her glory has ever art found out a richer theme more dark a shadow or more soft a gleam than fall upon the scene sketched carelessly in the newspaper column of to-day american romance is somewhat stale talk of the hatchet and the faces pale wampum and calumets and forests dreary once so attractive now begins to weary uncas and magowiska please us still unreal yet idealized with skill but every poetaster scribbling whittling from the majestic oak his stylus whittling has helped to tire us and to make us fear the monotone in which so much we hear of stoics of the wood and men without a tear yet nature ever buoyant ever young if left alone will sing as erst she sung the course of circumstance gives back again the picturesque erewhile pursued in vain shows us the fount of romance is not wasted the lights and shades of contrast not exhausted shorn of his strength the samson now must sue for fragments from the feast his fathers gave the indian dare not claim what is his due but as a boon his heritage must crave his stately form shall soon be seen no more through all his father's land the atlantic shore beneath the sun to us so kind they melt 
more heavily each day our rule is felt the tale is old we do as mortals must might makes right here but god and time are just so near the drama hastens to its close on this last scene awhile your eyes repose the polished greek and scythian meet again the ancient life is lived by modern men the savage through our busy cities walks he in his untouched grandeur silent stalks unmoved by all our gaieties and shows wonder nor shame can touch him as he goes he gazes on the marvels we have wrought but knows the models from whence all was brought in god's first temples he has stood so oft and listened to the natural organ loft has watched the eagle's flight the muttering thunder heard art cannot move him to a wondering word perhaps he sees that all this luxury brings less food to the mind than to the eye perhaps a simple sentiment has brought more to him than your arts had ever taught what are the petty triumphs art has given to eyes familiar with the naked heaven all has been seen dock railroad and canal fort market bridge college and arsenal asylum hospital and cotton mill the theatre the lighthouse and the jail the braves each novelty reflecting saw and now and then growled out the earnest yaw and now the time has come tis understood when having seen and thought so much a talk may do some good a well-dressed mob have thronged the sight to greet and motley figures throng the spacious street majestical and calm through all they stride wearing the blanket with a monarch's pride the gazers stare and shrug but can't deny their noble forms and blameless symmetry if the great spirit their morale has slighted and wigwam smoke their mental culture blighted yet the physique at least perfection reaches in the wilds where neither comb nor spurshine teaches where whispering trees invite man to the chase and bounding deer allure him to the race would thou had seen it that dark stately band whose ancestors enjoyed all this fair land whence they by force or fraud were made to flee are brought the white man's victory to see can kind emotions in their proud hearts glow as through these realms now decked by art they go the church the school the railroad and the mart can these a pleasure to their minds impart all once was theirs earth ocean forest sky how can they joy in what now meets the eye not yet religion has unlocked the soul nor each has learned to glory in the whole must they not think so strange and sad their lot that they by the great spirit are forgot from the far border to which they are driven they might look up in trust to the clear heaven but here what tales doth every object tell where massasoit sleeps where philip fell we take our turn and the philosopher sees through the clouds a hand which cannot err an unimproving race with all their graces and all their vices must resign their places and human culture rolls its onward flood over the broad plains steeped in indian blood 
such thoughts steady our faith yet there will rise some natural tears into the calmest eyes which gaze where forest princes haughty go made for a gaping crowd a rarey show but this a scene seems where in courtesy the pale face with the forest prince could vie for one presided who for tact and grace in any age had held an honoured place in beauty's own dear day had shown a polished phidian vase oft have i listened to his accents bland and owned the magic of his silvery voice in all the graces which life's arts demand delighted by the justness of his choice not his the stream of lavish fervid thought the rhetoric by passion's magic wrought not his the massive style the lion port which with the granite class of mind assort but in a range of excellence his own with all the charms to soft persuasion known amid our busy people we admire him elegant and lone he scarce needs words so exquisite the skill which modulates the tones to do his will that the mere sound enough would charm the ear and lap in its elysium all who hear the intellectual paleness of his cheek the heavy eyelids and slow tranquil smile the well-cut lips from which the graces speak fit him alike to win or to beguile then those words so well chosen fit though few their linked sweetness as our thoughts pursue we deem them spoken pearls or radiant diamond dew and never yet did i admire the power which makes so lustrous every threadbare theme which won for lafayette one other hour and e'en on july fourth could cast a gleam and now when i behold him play the host with all the dignity which red men boast with all the courtesy the whites have lost assume the very hue of savage mind yet in rude accents show the thought refined assume the naivete of infant age and in such prattle seem still more a sage the golden mean with tact unerring seized a courtly critic shone a simple savage pleased the stoic of the woods his skill confessed as all the father answered in his breast to the sure mark the silver arrow sped the man without a tear a tear has shed and thou hast wept hadst thou been there to see how true one sentiment must ever be in court or camp the city or the wild to rouse the father's heart you need but name his child twas a fair scene and acted well by all so here's a health to indian brave so tall our governor and boston people all i will copy the admirable speech of governor everett on that occasion as i think it the happiest attempt ever made to meet the indian in his own way and catch the tone of his mind it was said in the newspapers that keokuk did actually shed tears when addressed as a father if he did not with his eyes he might well in his heart everett's speech chiefs and warriors of the socks and foxes you are welcome to our hall of council brothers you have come a long way from home to visit your white brethren we rejoice to take you by the hand brothers we have heard the names of your chiefs and warriors 
our brothers who have travelled into the west have told us a great deal of the socks and foxes we rejoice to see you with our own eyes and take you by the hand brothers we are called the massachusetts this is the name of the red men that once lived here their wigwams filled yonder fields their council fire was kindled on the spot they were of the same great race as the socks and misquawkics brothers when our fathers came over the great waters they were a small band the red man stood upon the rock by the seaside and saw our fathers he might have pushed them into the water and drowned them but he stretched out his arm to our fathers and said welcome white men our fathers were hungry and the red men gave them corn and venison our fathers were cold and the red man wrapped them up in his blanket we are now numerous and powerful but we remember the kindness of the red man to our fathers brothers you are welcome we are glad to see you brothers our faces are pale and your faces are dark but our hearts are alike the great spirit has made his children of different colors but he loves them all brothers you dwell between the mississippi and the missouri they are mighty rivers they have one branch far east in the alleghanies and the other far west in the rocky mountains but they flow together at last into one great stream and run down together into the sea in like manner the red man dwells in the west and the white man in the east by the great waters but they are all one branch one family it has many branches and one head brothers as you entered our council house you beheld the image of our great father washington it is a cold stone it cannot speak but he was the friend of the red man and bade his children live in peace with their red brethren he has gone to the world of spirits but his words have made a very deep print in our hearts like the step of a strong buffalo on the soft clay of the prairie brother i perceive your little son between your knees god preserve his life my brother he grows up before you like the tender sapling by the side of the mighty oak may the oak and the sapling flourish a long time together and when the mighty oak has fallen to the ground may the young tree fill its place in the forest and spread out its branches over the tribe like the parent trunk brothers i make you a short talk and again bid you welcome to our council hall not often have they been addressed with such intelligence and tact the few who have not approached them with sordid rapacity but from love to them as men and souls to be redeemed have most frequently been persons intellectually too narrow too straitly bound in sects or in opinions to throw themselves into the character or position of the indians or impart to them anything they can make available the christ shown them by these missionaries is to them but a new and more powerful manito the signs of the new religion but the fetishes that have aided the conquerors here i will copy some remarks made by a discerning observer on the methods used by the missionaries and their natural results mr blank and myself had a very interesting conversation upon the subject of the indians and their character capabilities and company after ten years experience among them he was forced to acknowledge that the results of the missionary efforts had produced nothing calculated to encourage 
he thought that there was an intrinsic disability in them to rise above or go beyond the sphere in which they had so long moved he said that even those indians who had been converted and who had adopted the habits of civilization were very little improved in their real character they were as selfish as deceitful and as indolent as those who were still heathens they had repaid the kindnesses of the missionaries with the basis ingratitude killing their cattle and swine and robbing them of their harvests which they wantonly destroyed he had abandoned the idea of effecting any general good to the indians he had conscientious scruples as to promoting an enterprise so hopeless as that of missions among the indians by sending accounts to the east that might induce philanthropic individuals to contribute to their support in fact the whole experience of his intercourse with them seemed to have convinced him of the irremediable degradation of the race their fortitude under suffering he considered the result of physical and mental insensibility their courage a mere animal excitement which they found it necessary to inflame before daring to meet a foe they have no constancy of purpose and are in fact but little superior to the brutes in point of moral development it is not astonishing that one looking upon the indian character from mr blank's point of view should entertain such sentiments the object of his intercourse with them was to make them apprehend the mysteries of a theology which to the most enlightened is an abstruse metaphysical study and it is not singular that they should prefer their pagan superstitions which address themselves more directly to the senses failing in the attempt to christianize before civilizing them he inferred that in the intrinsic degradation of their faculties the obstacle was to be found thus the missionary vainly attempts by once or twice holding up the cross to turn deer and tigers into lambs vainly attempts to convince the red man that a heavenly mandate takes from him his broad lands he bows his head but does not at heart acquiesce he cannot it is not true and if it were the descent of blood through the same channels for centuries had formed habits of thought not so easily to be disturbed amalgamation would afford the only true and profound means of civilization but nature seems like all else to declare that this race is fated to perish those of mixed blood fade early and are not generally a fine race they lose what is best in either type rather than enhance the value of each by mingling there are exceptions one or two such as i know of but this it is said is the general rule a traveller observes that the white settlers who live in the woods soon become sallow lanky and dejected the atmosphere of the trees does not agree with caucasian lungs and it is perhaps in part an instinct of this which causes the hatred of the new settlers towards trees the indian breathed the atmosphere of the forests freely he loved their shade as they are effaced from the land he fleets too a part of the same manifestation which cannot linger beyond its proper era the chippewas have lately petitioned the state of michigan that they may be admitted as citizens but this would be vain unless they could be admitted as brothers to the heart of the white man and while the latter feels that conviction of superiority which enabled our wisconsin friend to throw away the gun and send the indian to fetch it 
he had need to be very good and very wise not to abuse his position but the white man as yet is a half-tamed pirate and avails himself as much as ever of the maxim might makes right all that civilization does for the generality is to cover up this with a veil of subtle evasions and chicane and here and there to rouse the individual mind to appeal to heaven against it i have no hope of liberalizing the missionary of humanizing the sharks of trade of infusing the conscientious drop into the flinty bosom of policy of saving the indian from immediate degradation and speedy death the whole sermon may be preached from the text needs be that offences must come yet woe them by whom they come yet ere they depart i wish there might be some masterly attempt to reproduce in art or literature what is proper to them a kind of beauty and grandeur which few of the everyday crowd have hearts to feel yet which ought to leave in the world its monuments to inspire the thought of genius through all ages nothing in this kind has been done masterly since it was clevenger's ambition tis pity he had not opportunity to try fully his powers we hope some other mind may be bent upon it ere too late at present the only lively impress of their passage through the world is to be found in such books as catlin's and some stories told by the old travellers of which i purpose a brief account first let me give another brief tale of the power exerted by the white man over the savage in a trying case but in this case it was righteous was moral power we were looking over mckinney's trip to the lakes and on observing the picture of kewe nowat or the going cloud mr b observed ah that is the fellow i came near having a fight with and he detailed at length the circumstances this indian was a very desperate character and whom all the leech lake band stood in fear of he would shoot down any indian who offended him without the least hesitation and had become quite the bully of that part of the tribe the trader at leech lake warned mr b to beware of him and said that he once when he the trader refused to give up to him his stock of wild rice went and got his gun and tomahawk and shook the tomahawk over his head saying now give me your wild rice the trader complied with his exaction but not so did mr b in the adventure which i am about to relate kiwenowat came frequently to him with furs wishing him to give for them cotton cloth sugar flour and company mr b explained to him that he could not trade for furs as he was sent there as a teacher and that it would be like putting the hand into the fire to do so as the traders would inform against him and he would be sent out of the country at the same time he gave him the articles which he wished kiwenowat found this a very convenient way of getting what he wanted and followed up this sort of game until at last it became insupportable one day the indian brought a very large otter-skin and said i want to get for this ten pounds of sugar and some flour and cloth adding i am not like other indians i want to pay for what i get mr b found that he must either be robbed of all he had by submitting to these exactions or take a stand at once he thought however he would try to avoid a scrape and told his customer he had not so much sugar to spare give me then said he what you can spare and mr b thinking to make him back out told him 
he would give him five pounds of sugar for his skin take it said the indian he left the skin telling mr b to take good care of it mr b took it at once to the trader's store and related the circumstance congratulating himself that he had got rid of the indian's exactions but in about a month kiwaynowat appeared bringing some dirty indian sugar and said i have brought back the sugar that i borrowed of you and i want my otter skin back mr b told him i bought an otter skin of you but if you will return the other articles you have got for it perhaps i can get it for you where is the skin said he very quickly what have you done with it mr b replied it was in the trader's store where he the indian could not get it at this information he was furious laid his hands on the knife and tomahawk and commanded mr b to bring it at once mr b found this was the crisis where he must take a stand or be rowed over roughshod by this man his wife who was present was much alarmed and begged he would get the skin for the indian but he told her that either he or the indian would soon be master of his house and if she was afraid to see it decided which was to be so she had better retire he turned to kiwaynowat and addressed him in a stern voice as follows i will not give you the skin how often have you come to my house and i have shared with you what i had i gave you tobacco when you were well and medicine when you were sick and you never went away from my wigwam with your hands empty and this is the way you return my treatment to you i had thought you were a man and a chief but you are not you are nothing but an old woman leave this house and never enter it again mr b said he expected the indian would attempt his life when he said this but that he had placed himself in a position so that he could defend himself and he looked straight into the indian's eye and like other wild beasts he quailed before the glance of mental and moral courage he calmed down at once and soon began to make apologies mr b then told him kindly but firmly that if he wished to walk in the same path with him he must walk as straight as the crack on the floor before them adding that he would not walk with anybody who would jostle him by walking so crooked as he had done he was perfectly tamed and mr b said he never had any more trouble with him the conviction here livingly enforced of the superiority on the side of the white man was thus expressed by the indian orator at mackinaw while we were there after the customary compliments about sun dew and company this said he is the difference between the white and the red man the white man looks to the future and paves the way for posterity this is a statement uncommonly refined for an indian but one of the gentlemen present who understood the chippeway vouched for it as a literal rendering of his phrases and he did indeed touch the vital point of difference but the indian if he understands cannot make use of his intelligence the fate of his people is against it and pontiac and philip have no more chance than julian in the times of old now that i am engaged on this subject let me give some notices of writings upon it read either at mackinaw or since my return mrs jameson made such good use of her brief visit to these regions as leaves great cause to regret she did not stay longer and go farther also that she did not make more use of her acquaintance with indeed adoption by the johnson family mr johnson seems to have been almost the only white man who knew how to regard with due intelligence and nobleness his connection with the race 
neither french or english of any powers of sympathy or poetical apprehension have lived among the indians without high feelings of enjoyment perhaps no luxury has been greater than that experienced by the persons who sent either by trade or war during the last century into these majestic regions found guides and shelter amid the children of the soil and recognized in a form so new and of such varied yet simple charms the tie of brotherhood but these even sir william johnston whose life surrounded by the indians in his castle on the mohawk is described with such vivacity by mrs grant have been men better fitted to enjoy and adapt themselves to this life than to observe and record it the very faculties that made it so easy for them to live in the present moment were likely to unfit them for keeping its chronicle men whose life is full and instinctive care little for the pen but the father of mrs schoolcraft seems to have taken pleasure in observation and comparison and to have imparted the same tastes to his children they have enough of a european culture to have a standard by which to judge their native habits and inherited lore by the premature death of mrs schoolcraft was lost a mine of poesy to which few had access and from which mrs jameson would have known how to coin a series of medals for the history of this ancient people we might have known in clear outline as now we shall not the growths of religion and philosophy under the influences of this climate and scenery from such suggestions as nature and the teachings of the inward mind presented now we can only gather that they had their own theory of the history of this globe had perceived a gap in its genesis and tried to fill it up by the intervention of some secondary power with moral sympathies they have observed the action of fire and water upon this earth also that the dynasty of animals has yielded to that of man with these animals they have profound sympathy and are always trying to restore to them their lost honors on the rattlesnake the beaver and the bear they seem to look with a mixture of sympathy and veneration as on their fellow-settlers in these realms there is something that appeals powerfully to the imagination in the ceremonies they observe even in case of destroying one of these animals i will say more of this by and by the dog they cherish as having been once a spirit of high intelligence and now in its fallen and imprisoned state given to man as his special companion he is therefore to them a sacrifice of peculiar worth whether to a guardian spirit or a human friend yet nothing would be a greater violation than giving the remains of a sacrificial feast to the dogs or even suffering them to touch the bones similar inconsistencies may be observed in the treatment of the dog by the white man he is the most cherished companion in the familiar walks of many men his virtues form the theme of poetry and history the nobler races present grand traits and are treated with proportionate respect yet the epithets dog and hound are there set apart to express the uttermost contempt goethe who abhorred dogs has selected that animal for the embodiment of the modern devil who in earlier times chose rather the form of the serpent there is indeed something that peculiarly breaks in on the harmony of nature in the bark of the dog 
and that does not at all correspond with the softness and sagacity observable in his eye the baying the moon i have been inclined to set down as an unfavourable indication but since fourier has found out that the moon is dead and no better than carrion and the greeks have designated her as hecate the deity of suicide and witchcraft the dogs are perhaps in the right they have among them the legend of the carbuncle so famous in oriental mythos adair states that they believe this fabulous gem may be found on the spot where the rattlesnake has been destroyed if they have not the archetypal man they have the archetypal animal the grandfather of all beavers to them who do not know the elephant this is the symbol of wisdom as the rattlesnake and bear of power End of chapter 6, part 1